This is Continua. We're guided by music and grounded in science. Journey with us as we explore the intersection of music and health. We're diving into discussions with professionals and creatives. We're sharing information and giving you conversations to motivate you along your health journey. I'm Chloe Livray. I'm Aliyah Abdullah. And you're listening to The Continua Podcast. We got a song request today from our guest. This is, it's making me like think this. of, um, honestly, it's making me think of high school. And she was a fun fact, she was a cheerleader. We talked a little bit right before, and this is definitely a song that we would we would try to use for a cheer routine. 100%. I can see that. <laughs> for sure. Shouts to Saweetie. Uh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Today we have a special guest that we will um, will let herself introduce. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thanks for letting me be here. My name is Lauren Paponis. I am a functional medicine dietitian. What essentially what that means is that I'm a registered dietitian by schooling, and then functional medicine dietitian by external training and kind of philosophy. Um, but I've worked everything from being a sports dietitian at the collegiate level and working one on one with you know, everything up to Olympian athletes to now where my specialty really lies is in hormones. So uh, I work with some women that are dealing with menstrual irregularities to prep for fertility to um, going through menopause. And uh, a lot of the symptoms that come with that, whether that's digestive or skin conditions, um, you know, infertility, a lot of those types of hormonal symptoms. So that's my bread and butter. And I am based out of Los Angeles. I do one-on-one coaching essentially is what I call it. Uh, and then I just launched a membership actually. So that's a project that I'm super excited about. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, we'd <laughs> love to hear more about that. Yes, yeah. we definitely. Would. Since you specialize in or your emphasis and interest is in hormones, do you have a, and you totally don't have to share, but do you have a specific story or a client or someone that you've worked with that you've helped that was really the driving or inspirational factor of like, this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. I mean, myself, I've, <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell yeah. Example. I, love um, it. I mean, I've pretty much dealt with like hormonal imbalances my whole life. I grew up a competitive gymnast. It's not really the sport that you should probably be doing when you're going through puberty. Mm-hmm. So it just, it really kind of put me on the wrong foot, I think from a hormone standpoint, you know, I mean, I started puberty when I was 14 or so, which I guess you could, it's not late technically by scientific definition, but it's a little bit later. Right. But but I never really felt like I had a normalized menstrual cycle. Then once I got to college, I went to college on a competitive cheer scholarship. And so my training then bumped up. So, I mean, I was probably training which, four which hours school? a day. Stephen F. Austin. It's okay. in East Texas. Okay. But I was just obsessed. So, I mean, I was eating, but it just wasn't enough. So my my menstrual cycle just essentially like was missing. And, you know, I saw all these specialists and I just kept hearing, you're just going to have to stop cheering if you want this to come back. That's BS. Like, I'm not mm. going to stop doing that. And I disagree with you. And so I just kept, I wasn't getting answers from anyone. And so I said, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands and I'm just going to figure this out myself. So I just started diving into the research. I started working with a functional medicine doctor in my dietetic internship. I was actually interning with him. And he was the first person that was actually willing to do some progressive things. I remember him saying to me, I've never done this before, but we're going to give it a try because I think that you'd be a good candidate for it. And I was like, cool. Thank you. Like Mm. you're the first person that's actually willing to think outside of the box and challenge the status quo and tell me that you're fine. Like you're just stop cheering and everything's going to be fine. right? Right. 
So I was able to recover my menstrual cycle after like working with him and doing my own research and really adopting like a lot more holistic practices and it changed my life. And then I started grad school and I still had this like athlete itch. And so I was like, (laughs) I'm going to get into competitive CrossFit. (laughs) So then I started doing that and I didn't lose my menstrual cycle, but everything just started to go out of where it should have been. I mean, I was just like, had acne for the first time in my life, like was having all these digestive symptoms. I gained like 15 pounds. It was just so inflamed. If I had a picture, which I don't because I would never get in a picture at that point Mm -hmm. of time. um, It was just awful, you know? And through those two different experiences where it just led me to be like, this is my passion. Like I have to help women especially and help them see it holistically too. And not just look at it as like, eat more food, exercise less because that didn't work for me and it doesn't work for a lot of other women. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Thank you so much for sharing. I I I'm glad that you said that and I can definitely relate to a certain degree because I quit right before puberty. I quit gymnastics right before mm-hmm. puberty started. I was flat as a board in all areas. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> my my friends are getting training bras and I'm I'm getting one, but I don't have anything. So <laughs> but I, I just want it to fit in. You know what I mean? Sure. I was like, oh, they got the cute little Hello Kitty ones and yeah. I, I want it too. So very basic question, but I think people should know the difference between a registered dietitian, a nutritionist and a health coach. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. You know, there is a little bit of a misconception. A registered dietitian is essentially credentialed by uh, governing agencies. It means that you've completed a certain amount of courses and schooling, and then you've done an accredited internship, which is 1,200 supervised practice hours. So essentially what happens is that you have to take certain courses in your undergraduate, and then you have to apply and get accepted and matched into a dietetic internship kind of similar to residency is like a doctor would go through to get matched. You don't really choose the school, the school and you kind of choose each other. And then you just have to go. And then that is about a 10 month process where you're working full time and taking some classes and training other under dietitians that are already established in their practice. So everything from, you know, I worked in the ICU to on med surge floors to uh, working in school nutrition systems. Um, You know, sometimes people work in prisons. So, I mean, it's everything you could think of that food and nutrition goes into. Now, a nutritionist and health coach, there's not really any credentialing for like what would be called a nutritionist. So, you know, if you decided you wanted to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm a nutritionist because I can tell you what goes into my smoothie, you could do that. And there's nothing that's telling you you couldn't, right? Mm -hmm. That's the big difference. And of course, there's no shame against that. There's plenty of nutritionists, health coaches that I know that are so incredibly intelligent and really successful and great at what they do. It's just the schooling and the training Mm -hmm. that you decide to go with, right? And that's how that determines what title you can use. Okay. That, I feel like that could be dangerous sometimes. Like with working uh, with terms? Well, with terms, yeah. I'm working with someone who calls himself a nutritionist, but you don't really know their background at all. Sure, yeah. And a lot of people don't realize there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Like I get called a nutritionist all the time and I don't take any offense to it, but some dietitians do because it's like, I worked really hard for this degree. <laughs> right. Like, do you totally. know how much debt I'm in, right? <laughs> right. Um, feel that. Feel that. <laughs> snaps. Snaps, snaps, snaps. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, to be a millennial. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it can be a little frustrating at times, but, you know, I wanted that security. I wanted to be able to work in collegiate athletics and work for 
institutions and, you know, maybe work for a university or something, right? They're not going to hire a nutritionist or a health coach. They want to hire the registered dietitian that has that, that education, that right. has that credential. So I did it more for the job security of if I decided that I wanted to do that in the future, I could have that option, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a question that might be basic, but <laughs> what is a hormone? <laughs> it's a great question. So I think hormones rule the world personally, and mm -hmm. that's why I went into specializing in hormones. Um, but hormones are essentially just chemical messengers. So we have over 50 within our body, and they're just messengers that are telling different tissues and organs how to communicate. So we release them into our bloodstream, and then those go to the tissues and organs. So they're kind of just like best friends spreading rumors, right? <laughs> I love that. So that's that's how I was trying to explain it. I'm like, if you want your hormones to be happy, then you have to figure out how to make amends with your best friend. Like you can't be in an argument with her because then she's not going to be on your side about anything. Um, so they're just messengers. They're just telling our organs or tissues, whether that be our digestive system, our thyroid that's regulating our metabolism and reproduction, our um, ovaries, our gonads, like they're just telling them how to communicate. So everything starts with your nervous system sensing the environment. So your nervous system says, I'm in a heightened state of stress that communicates to your brain and then your brain communicates down to creating the, th the hormones that are sent to the different organs and tissues. The way that someone may go get Viagra mm -hmm. or go get something instead of them going to get a prescription drug or some type of enhancement, if they were coming to you first, what would you tell them to do? I would tell them to eat more zinc, and I would also tell them to balance their estrogen levels too. So estrogen can be balanced through like phytoestrogen. So legumes, lentils, um, even like non-GMO tofu can be really good sources of phytoestrogens. Kind of want to know where your estrogen levels are first. I know obviously tofu is a good source of protein for plant-based eaters, um, but it also has a lot of soy. Mm -hmm. So can we can we talk about soy? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> so soy has a lot of controversy because a lot of people think that soy is just going to increase your estrogen levels. Um, the research is outside of anything else, the research states that when you have high estrogen levels, eating those isoflavins or these phytoestrogens is going to lower your estrogen. If you have low estrogen levels, eating those is going to help bring your estrogen up to where it should be. Basically, you're saying if I wanted, if I wanted to break it down, soy, non-GMO, good soy. If you are low in estrogen, then soy could actually help bring up the level of estrogen that you have in your body. And mm -hmm. if you're high in estrogen, then soy could help bring it down to the proper level. Correct. Yeah. Wait, That's so really wait, interesting. Wait, 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 to make oh. sure I'm still following this. <laughs> so... You can eat soy and depending upon wherever your body is, it's going to regulate itself based off just having that one thing. It's not like if you're high, then it's going to bring you down. And if you're low, then it's going to bring you up. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and like the hormones that are in plants, they are so much less potent than the hormones that we have in our body. Um, I think it's like one like 30,000th of the power oh, wow. of like our body's actual estrogen. So it's going to take a lot of that soy to really have a huge impact on those hormone levels, right? Um, and a lot of people are concerned about it, but how much soy are you realistically going to eat? I mean, you might eat one or two servings per day. You're not going to eat 20 servings that are going to get you to like replace what your actual estrogen level should look like, right? 
Um, but I think it's also important too, the quality of it. Like we mentioned the non-GMO, right? And that you're eating it in its most whole form. So if you're using soybean oil or you're using soy milk even, like those are processed forms mm-hmm. of soy, right? If you're eating tofu, you're eating tempeh, you're eating edamame, lentils, legumes, these are the earth's actual sources of these phytoestrogens. So I think that's really important to state is that it should be the food in its most natural form. Okay. I, I'm, that's great. Yeah. That is, oh, I'm so happy that we talked about that because <laughs> I get this so obvious. I'm a vegan. Let's <laughs> just go out and say it. Um, and that is something that I get so often from people is, oh my God, your soy intake, your soy intake, you're going to get breast cancer, like all these different things. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I mean, you explained it so eloquently. <laughs> I was I was trying to explain to people the phytochemicals and all that stuff. But thank you for saying that. Um, exploring, I think, just the whole conversation around menstrual cycles and periods and, and women, because I, I think that it's been taboo for most of the time and it's not something that we openly talking about talk about but i just recently found out about pcos Mm -hmm. so out of curiosity and i think if you could define pcos pcos stands for polycystic ovary syndrome and so what you might think that means is that you have a lot of cysts on your ovaries and although that can be true that's actually only one of three different diagnostic criteria for pcos um so the three diagnostic criteria is that there has to be hyperandrogenism so that means that you have high androgens high testosterone high dhea um that you have cysts on your ovaries and that you have oligomenorrhea or amenorrhea where there's essentially very rare or no non-existing menstrual cycles. So, of course, I met one of three criteria, but you have to meet two of three three criteria Hmm. to really be diagnosed. Now, within that, there's two different types or really, I guess, three different types of PCOS. There's ovarian PCOS, where it's driven from your ovaries. There's adrenal PCOS, where the androgens are driven from your adrenal glands. And then you've got post-birth control PCOS. And that happens because birth control binds up your testosterone and then you have this rebound effect happen where now you get that hyperandrogenism effect of coming off the birth control. So it's How long does that last? I mean, until you really start to get it taken care of, it could be, Hmm. you know, many years. But I would say most women start to experience it about two to three months after they discontinue birth control. Ooh, that is... Sorry. <laughs> Aaliyah shooketh. <laughs> Aaliyah's jaw dropped to the ground. <laughs> I'm absorbing a lot of information yeah. right now. I, I think I'm just like, I'm pretty sure all the other women that are yes. listening on this podcast right now are having just like epiphany moments. Epiphany moments oh of just experience in life and honestly just thinking about when when you may tell your mind or like your mind may tell your body to do something and it's like your body is doing something else and really feeling out of control so i i feel like i'm kind of internalizing all of this and just thinking back to a lot of past experiences Mm, totally and i think that we need a space where women can talk about like not feeling optimal because i think that that's so much more common than we talk about right where you just kind of like deal with the mood disturbances and like these symptoms and you just like put it under the rug, right? Just slide under the rug. And it's like, no, you deserve to feel optimal. Like you deserve to feel like a badass woman who can take on the world. And I, that's like really my message for women is that that's possible for you, you know? So, wow. so, so okay. Well, let's just backtrack just a little bit because I feel like a, 
maybe some women don't even know the four different stages of a menstrual cycle. Sure. So let's let's name them <laughs> at least and maybe give like a brief description of them. Yep. So the first day of your menstrual cycle, day one is the first day you start bleeding. And that would be your menstrual phase, right? Or menses. Um, that will last anywhere from one to seven days, maybe. And like I said, this is going to determine just this is going to differ based off the individual. But um, for example, like mine's five days. So mine is one through day five, right? Then you move into your follicular phase. And that's going to last about 14 days. So that's going to go from day um, when you start bleeding, essentially, all the way up until when you ovulate, which should be around day 14 to day 17. Then once you ovulate, that's only about a three-day period of time. And then you move into the luteal phase. And the luteal phase, again, is about two weeks, you know, uh, plus or minus some. And then you start back over again with menses. So it's menses is short. Uh, your follicular is pretty long. Ovulation is short. And then luteal is pretty long. Oh, wow. I didn't know that ov the ovulation phase was such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm, yeah. That is three days. Yeah. So when people... When couples are trying to get pregnant on purpose, they have such a short window of time to, I mean, you just have to really time it <laughs> if, yeah. if you're trying to, you know, get pregnant on purpose, you know? Yeah. Three days. That's <laughs> I, I don't know because I'm, I'm not there, but I guess this is good I to mean, know for future me. Yeah, why not? Three days. Hit it and quit it. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Well, and just sperm, kidding. sperm can live for up to 72 hours. So it could okay. be closer to like six days depending okay. on. But um, yeah, you're actually only fertile for about like five or six days out of the month. So that's like one of my qualms against birth control is it's like you're taking mm. this pill that's messing up your health for only like five days. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I have... I have an acronym for the menstrual cycle just for people to remember it. And I made it up myself. <laughs> <laughs> Clarification. Chloe made this up herself. <laughs> I love it. Let's hear it. My friend ordered lasagna. <laughs> Wait, that's it? That's it. My, my menstrual cycle, follicular, ovulation, and luteal. And luteal. I love it. My friend ordered lasagna. Wow. <laughs> okay. When I was like first learning about it, I just like, I'm, I, that is when I was in school. Those are the kinds of things that helped me memorize stuff. No, sure. those are great ones. So, I can remember those. I can remember right, those. My That's friend great. ordered lasagna. I have to share that. Yeah. <laughs> my friend ordered lasagna. We got it. Are are there foods, let's say, for example, um, I also just was introduced to the topic of um, viewing our menstrual cycles from a four-week perspective or like mm -hmm. from the actual cycle itself sure are there foods that you recommend that people eat let's say the week before women people women eat mm -hmm. <laughs> the week before or during that may alleviate cramping or that may alleviate some of the mood swings and actually i think some of the guys on here anyone that's dating an, a woman in should general, know this take notes no, no yeah take note <laughs> take go, note. go go to the grocery store right <laughs> make a grocery run totally and well sync your calendars with their exactly <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and I mean that's the thing right is that like your menstrual cycle can really rule like your life your calendar right like I mean there's so many women that they have to take days off for their period every month because of PMS and such and it's just that's unfortunate like that shouldn't we shouldn't have to put up with that right like there should be answers to that um, and I think also you know men and 
people that don't understand should understand our situation, you know, that we're dealing with. Um, But yes, there's definitely food. So one of the things that can cause the PMS symptoms is that when you're in that luteal phase, which is right before you start your period, so essentially those two weeks between ovulation and when you start bleeding, that is when your estrogen levels are fairly high, not as high as they've ever been in the cycle, but they're pretty high. But that's when you get the highest progesterone peak. So you've got two hormones now that are really at pretty high levels, the highest that they've ever been in the menstrual cycle. And then once you start your period, when your body's like, ah, we're not having a baby this month, then (laughs) those levels just drop off abruptly. So one of the issues that can cause worsening of PMS is if you have high levels of estrogen or progesterone, think of it as like jumping off of a cliff, right? Like you've got a further distance. So it's going to hit harder when you hit the water right? Versus if those hormone levels are a little bit lower or they're in the normal ranges, you're not going to experience as much of those PMS symptoms. So that's the first thing to consider is like if you have these high estrogen and progesterone symptoms, then we really got to work on reducing those. And it's much more common for women to have high estrogen than it is to have high progesterone, but not always. We want the two to be in a good balance of each other. We don't want elevations of either in either direction. There are some foods that can help lower estrogen. In particular, you've probably heard of cruciferous vegetables. Those are things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kale, bok choy. Those are really good for helping lower the estrogens. And then potentially the phytoestrogens, if you also have low estrogen levels, right? So the non-GMO soy, the the tofu tempeh, lentils, legumes, um, raw nuts and seeds even can also be really helpful here. Now, in terms of this is all during luteal luteal. Yeah, exactly. Which is the phase right before your menstrual set. Yep. Right before your menses, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Right before you start your period. Yeah. So about the two weeks before. And that'll really depend on how long your period is. So if you're on like a regular 30 day clock, then you're looking at about 14 days exactly. But, um, you know, the best way to really know how long your luteal phase is, is to test when you ovulate, which you can do that through taking your basal body temperature first thing in the morning. Uh, because you actually your temperature will increase whenever you ovulate, and we by can get ma- into that. By if you how have much? Questions. Um, by about 0.5 to a full degree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So progesterone is very. Um, it's a very warm hormone. So when we have high progesterone levels in our blood, our actual core body temperature increases. So for example, this month, my um, baseline temperature was in the 97s in the first half of my cycle. Now I'm in my luteal phase and my temps are up to 98 when I first wake up in the morning. And it really will determine based off of what your baseline is. So some women, their baseline might be 96, and then they come up to the 97s whenever they're in that luteal phase. Mm -hmm. Um, But progesterone is very warming, and that's why you might see some issues with like sleep or dehydration during this time because it's um, it's going to dehydrate you because it's so warming, right? But it also is going to heat up that core body temperature, which is going to make it harder for people to sleep at night. Interesting. Jinx, oh. jinx, you owe me water. Oh, I hate water. it when we do that. Water, water, or tea. Oh, we do that so or often. Smoothie. <laughs> or smoothie. Or smoothie, right. You know, I say oh. that I specialize in hormones, but really what that means is that I that's kind of my my um, latch point, right? But most of my work with an individual is we're fixing the gut, we're you know we're working on toxicity, we're working on um, stressors, right? And those are going into the bigger picture of them balancing the hormones. Um, can you talk about oxidative stress? Ooh, yeah, that's a good term. So stress is more of an umbrella term, right? So a lot of times when we say stress, people associate psychological or emotional stress. 
And I like to think of stress as more of like a cup of water. And stress can be everything from psychological stress, emotional stress. It can be physical stress. So exercise, right? It can be microbial stress. There's microbes in your gut or wherever on your body that are in abundance, right? Um, It can be, you know, toxic stress, right? So there's so many different forms of stressors. And those, the oxidative stress can fall into that piece of the puzzle. So oxidative stress is essentially just when our mitochondria are damaged. It's essentially an inability for our body to combat the free radical damage that's happening. And the free radicals are a formation that happens based off of these different environmental toxins. It's essentially very similar to the toxicity where our body doesn't have enough of the antioxidants or the defense mechanisms to be able to combat those sources of oxidative stress stress when you're exposed to secondhand smoke or even like a candle like candles are now the new secondhand smoke right like you're exposed oh, to this wow. toxin I didn't know that. yeah yeah there's it, depending on the type of candle yeah. but a lot of your like generic candles um oh. but you're exposed to that and then your body doesn't have the defense mechanisms to be able to you know put all those antioxidants into play and combat that oxidative stress it's a very complex process yes. <laughs> totally is. i mean totally i is. didn't i didn't know that there were multiple well i knew there were multiple kinds of stress but I don't think I've heard of that term specifically mm-hmm. and I will say that I definitely like that you broke it down because I think in general we just say oh I'm stressed and there could probably be much of a benefit when someone can identify and communicate what type of stress they think they're experiencing mm-hmm. our body is so amazingly intelligent that we have all of the resources within us to handle all of these different situations but sometimes we're in a state where our body's just under it and it just doesn't have it to be able to do that or we're not nourishing our body with antioxidants to be able to help with this process right so antioxidants are going to be found in a lot of your plant foods but in particular things that are dark pigmentation so think of your dark berries like a um, blueberry or a blackberry a pomegranate right these are really antioxidant rich foods dark leafy greens kale spinach chard these are very antioxidant rich foods. Uh, dark chocolate has a ton. Green tea has a ton. So when we think about those really dark pigmentation, that's where we're going to get a lot of those antioxidants. And then there are like precursors and things too that help with this process as well. Um, but I would say that the main issue with most people is they're not eating enough magnesium. And if you look at mm. the citric acid cycle to how our body creates energy from what we eat, Magnesium is literally the cofactor in every single step. Magnesium and B vitamins. So if you're if you have a deficiency in magnesium or B vitamins, which you can find in dark leafy greens, then you're not going to be able to take the food that you eat and actually produce energy out of it. And then your mitochondria aren't going to have the energy they need to be able to function properly. Mm-hmm. Got it. So magnesium and B vitamins are the most important. Definitely. As far as- Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super interesting. I'm learning a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm learning a lot. So we have a, a, a question that we ask everyone that's on our podcast. And the first one is based off of, I mean, you've talked about your passion for hormones and how you got into it by your personal journey. But from this point forward, in terms of how you want to make an impact and how you want to leave a legacy, what exactly does that look like in this field for you? I want to empower women. I want to empower them with education and with um, 
the confidence to move forward in their health um, by way of understanding and balancing their hormones. And I really want to create a community and I'm really big on environment and I want to create a really fun way to look at that um, and a really inviting and warm experience. And I think that we so often think of the menstrual cycle or think of hormones as like not a positive experience, right? We think of all the bad things that they do. But I want to empower women to look at it differently and really think about it as my body is freaking amazing because it is. And these are all the things that my body can do for me. How do I pay it forward Mm. to my body, right? And through that, understand that your body will be in balance. So if there's people, of course, that are interested and want to find out more on this topic and with a deeper dive, you have a podcast. Yep, I as have a well. podcast. And a platform that and you a just platform launched. That you just launched. Yeah. Can you tell us? Mm-hmm. So my podcast is called Your Nutrition BFF because, again, trying to create a fun <laughs> environment here, right? Um, and pretty much on every podcast app, we're actually just moving into season two next month. So that's exciting. And then I also just launched a membership called Strength and Hormones. And so this membership is all about education education, community, support, empowerment of women finding strength in their body and mind through hormone healing. Amazing. Amazing. And where can we find that? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is nutrition with low. And then I also have a page for strength and hormones that is pretty new. Um, but you can follow either of those. Otherwise, my website is functionalfueling.com and all of the details are on there too. Perfect. Amazing. We'll have it in the show notes. Oh yeah, we will. <laughs> yes, we will. And our final question of the day, um, what is your definition of journey? Journey is the struggle. You know, journey is all of the hard moments that led you to where you are today. You know, I mean, I think that so much of our life is just built off of all of the challenges that we've been through. You know, I mean, I know, like I said, with my own story, like my passion and purpose in life now is based off of all of the struggles and challenges that I had along my journey that led me to where I am today. Yeah. Love it. Journey yes. is the struggle. Yes, it is. Thank you guys. Thank you, Lauren, for joining thank us. You, thank you. We appreciate you. We do. We'll have to have you on again because yes. we have so many questions. Yes. <laughs> so many. Of yes, course. Happy to come back. All right, all. See you later. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Continua Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our Continua experience or have any questions based on the topic of this episode, DM us on Instagram at The Continua.